0: Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and let me say a couple of things as you turn. First off, if you haven't heard, Tom Murray uh, lost his mom, Rita Murray. She's been on our prayer list and on our visitation list for some time. Tom lost his mom, and we'll be uh, having her service in this room today at 2.30. Tom will be here from 1 o'clock on for visitation, and then 2.30 will be the service. So uh, if you know and love Tom, want to be a part of that, come back in for visitation or join us for the service at 2.30. Yeah, Tom's in the room. Uh, There he is, Tom. God bless you. Yeah, we love your mama. Uh, God bless you. The other thing I just want to point out to you is Wednesday night is family meeting. If you don't really know a lot about Woodburn Baptist Church, we're a congregational church, which means we make all of our decisions as a congregation. Uh, I don't run the church. Deacons don't run the church. Technically, the Lord runs the church, and we just try to discern his will together and, and make decisions together. So we have decisions to make as we always do this coming Wednesday. Uh, one of the big decisions I just want to call your attention to pertains to the report from an ad hoc committee that was studying ways to uh, create more room for people in worship. Our services are typically full with no room for, for more folks. And so obviously the easiest, uh, uh, most immediate solution would be to try to create Another service, but because of the tightness of our schedule, that's difficult. So, the motion on the table, which we'll decide Wednesday, is to change our Sunday morning schedule. Now, the good news for the 11 o'clock people is nothing changes for 11 o'clock people. Uh, so, uh, the 8 o'clock people all burst out into tears when I said that the, ne- the early service could start at 8 o'clock. Uh, you know, some of them were like, you know, 8 o'clock is early, um, but that might create the opportunity for a 930 service in this room because we would have more space in between services to empty and fill the room and also gives a cafe some flexibility to start another service in the cafe. So that's our thinking and that's a decision we will make together. Family meeting is always important, but this, this time around, there's some, some important decisions to make that will affect almost all of us. Again, for 11 o'clock people, it's the same for you, 11 o'clock. Um, so anyway, God bless you in that. First Samuel chapter 18. I am in the middle of a sermon series called Hero Maker, uh, trying simply to make very practical Jesus' example and his commandment to us that we would Um, put ourselves last. Don't be first, try to be last. Those who want to be great need to become the servant, Jesus said. Jesus said about himself, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself away as a ransom for many. So we're talking about what it means for us who want to follow Jesus to give ourselves away for the sake of others. And that is harder than it sounds, harder than sometimes we even would have thought. It is hard not to think of ourselves first. As hero makers, we're not trying to be the hero. We want to be the hero maker. You're not trying to be Batman. You're trying to be Alfred. You don't have to stand in the spotlight. You can hold the spotlight that somebody else stands in. You can let the fruit of your life grow on somebody else's tree. This is what we've been talking about. We talked about it in the context of learning to serve others. We talked about it specifically on Mother's Day as a particular way for women to be in the world and in our lives. Today, I want us to talk about it in an even more practical everyday sense, the everyday sense of friendship. Let's talk about what it means to be a hero-making friend. I went uh, to lunch the other day with my friend Stephen Hamm. I don't know if you guys know Stephen. He usually sits right there. If he were here, he'd make you move. He sits right there At the 830 service, man, that is Stephen's seat. We went to Rafferty's and Stephen was very, very hungry, which Stephen is always very, very hungry. So uh, he said, let's get an appetizer. I said, okay, Stephen, let's get an appetizer. What do you want? He said, queso. I said, okay, let's get queso. So Stephen was buying, y'all. He was paying. Stephen got this giant platter of chips and a big bowl of queso in the middle. So I grabbed a chip and was about to go in. But Stephen said, wait, are we going to double dip? That's what he said. He said, are we going to double dip? Because I know some people don't like that. So let me just take a poll. How many of you are double dippers? Double dippers in the room? Really? You could all be my friends. Yeah. Now, now Y'all know what double dipping is? Yeah, double dipping is when you, you dip, you, you bike, and then you dip again, which means technically... Yeah, you double dipped, and that means, you know, it was in your mouth, back in the bowl, back in your mouth, which means the people eating with you are eating right out of your mouth. I mean, that, that's that's kind of how that works. So, Stephen, being a gentleman said, so are we going to double dip? Because I know some people don't like that. I said, Stephen, are, you want to double dip? He said, yeah. yeah. So I said, Stephen, I don't care if you put your face in it and blow, buddy. We are going to eat queso. So we did, man. Uh, friends are great, are they not? Friends are great. Uh, The older I get, the more I recognize how easy it is to lose friendships and how hard it is to maintain them. I think when you're young, somehow it seems that friendship is easier in school. Uh, You watch those college seniors graduating and hugging their friends and taking selfies with their friends. They don't really understand two things, how important those people will be for the rest of their lives, but also how far away you get from those that you thought would be friends for life. It is hard to make and keep friends, and especially hard for some of us who really don't know what it means to be a hero maker. The scripture says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, which implies that there's also another kind of friend, the friend that doesn't. Um, We want to talk about what it means to be the friend that sticks close. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is the passage that immediately follows last week. Last week, we talked about David slaying the giant Goliath, and this is what happens Right after that, when David comes into the household of King Saul and meets Saul's son, Jonathan, and then, of course, uh, comes into uh, Saul's circle. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Read with me. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home, and Jonathan... Made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. Let me stop right there for a second. You know that the book of 1 Samuel, Old Testament, it was written in the Hebrew language. And right there where it says it made Saul angry, there's a Hebrew word there that really just means to burn in the throat. So what this means is this just, this just burned in his throat. You get that? In other words, very, very literally, this made Saul want to puke. You understand that? The women were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his 10,000s and this burned in Saul's throat. What's this? He said, they credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands next to making him their king. (laughs) Yeah. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did for the Lord who was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. What is his problem? What is Saul's problem? I mean, everybody loves David. Everybody loves David. How can you not love David? David is the shepherd boy who steps out onto the battlefield and takes down the the, the giant Goliath. How can you not love David? David is humble. David is pure hearted. David is brave. David is good. David is victorious. David is successful in everything he does. And everybody loves David. David. Everybody loves David. All the women in the city, they all love David. Everybody loves David, but Saul just can't love David. What is his problem? Now, the scripture says from that day on, Saul kept David with him. What's that about, though? It's not love. It's something else. Scripture says that that Saul needs to keep an eye on him, a a particular kind of eye. What's it say? Remember the verse? What did I just read? He keeps a jealous eye on him. It was two years ago when I first started putting uh, the idea for this sermon series together, Hero Maker. Um, And at that time, I knew that I would need to have a moment to talk about jealousy. Just be honest. The reason most of us can't be uh, hero makers is is that, it's it's, it's jealousy. The amazing part of this passage is the way it puts Jonathan's friendship, his hero-making friendship, right here in bright contrast to Saul's insane jealousy. Talk about being a hero maker. We're saying that you don't have you don't have to grasp for things. You can give things away. But honestly, most of us aren't very good at that. We want things for ourselves. We don't really mind if good things happen to other people. We just want more good things happening to us. We want good things, and we get jealous. We get envious. We it just burns in our throat sometimes when other people have other things better than us, or or we perceive better than us. Let's. Just be honest. Now, jealousy is 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 easy to see in other people, but hard to see in yourself. Because you don't think of it as jealousy, probably in your own heart in your own life. So, like, you know, for me, when one of you drives, you know, drive up in a really fancy car on a Sunday and you know, like you know, he's like a Rolls Royce, whatever fancy car you got, and, and I get jealous, but I don't think, you know, I'm feeling jealous. I just think to myself, well, aren't they materialistic? they're materialistic. Yeah. You, you look at one of your girlfriends and she's losing weight and you just begin to hate her. You know what I mean? It's like you look at her and and some of you have like a rule in your mind that like you won't have friends that, that, you know, that, that weigh less than you. Not going to go to the beach with somebody who looks better in a bathing suit than you. Good luck. you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's something of human nature But when something really good happens to somebody else, you just have a really hard time celebrating that without also just sort of inside yourself, mm, feeling that jealousy. A hero maker is a person who doesn't have to be the hero, but because of our jealousy, it really bothers us when other people seem to get appreciation that we don't get. We wanna be appreciated. I mean, to be a hero maker means that you're content when other people get promoted at work, but you want the promotion at work. You deserve it. You want that. You earn that. And it's very, very difficult to see somebody else promoted ahead of you, even though Jesus plainly says, you know what, if you really want to be great, just go to the end of the line. Yeah, Jesus, you make yourself at home at the end of the line. I deserve to be 1st Isn't that how we think? Other people have more money. It's like it doesn't matter that they have money. We just want what they have. We gotta have it. And it really sort of burns in our throat when somebody else has it better. Am I telling you the truth? Is this not just the way we are? It's hard. It's it's, it's really, really hard. It's, but understand something. Jealousy is poison. It's absolute poison. I, I would say this, and, and it's very, very plain. Let's back back me up one, Greg, if you will, please. There we go. The price you pay for jealousy is isolation. This is one of the lessons you learn out of Saul's life. Now, Saul does bring David into his household. Saul brings David very, very close. And actually, there's an attachment there. There's a relationship there. But it is not love. I mean, notice there, he just, you know, tried to pin him to the wall two different times with a spear. That's not love. Now, sometimes a jealous person will, will sort of mask their jealousy as if, you know, I, I wouldn't be jealous if I didn't just love so much. No, no. Jealousy's not a sign of love. Jealousy's a sign of insecurity. Jealousy's a sign of fear. So understand, saw here, it's not a loving response. It's not a friendship here. It's nothing like that. It's jealousy. And the attachment is a jealous attachment, but a jealous attachment is not necessarily related to love at all. He just wants to possess. He wants to grasp. He wants to hold on to what is his. So in his mind, having David where he can control David is the best way to hold on to everything that belongs to him. That's the way Saul works in his world. Do you know people like that? Are are, are you like that? Because it's really, really hard to have friends. Let's just be honest. It's really hard to have friends if you can't stop comparing yourself to them. I mean, you know? I mean, stop looking at your girlfriends and trying to figure out if they weigh less than you. That's just weird. I mean, stop looking at other guys and trying to figure out, you know, if he's a better golfer. Because if he's a better golfer, you won't be taking him golfing. You don't like to be outshone. You you don't like anybody to sort of rise above you. I mean, it just burns in your throat. I mean, right, And, and this is our problem. I can preach as many sermons about hero making as I want to preach, but until this is dealt with in our lives, this jealousy, this inability to just be happy for other people when good things happen to them, this inability to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, we can't do that because we can't get over ourselves. We can't stop thinking about ourselves. I mean, let's be honest, we love us some self. But Saul, even as you see this amazing friendship that develops between David and Jonathan, Saul just becomes more and more insane with jealousy. And the price you pay for jealousy is isolation. I mean, you wonder why you really can't keep and, and, and you know, make and, and keep friends for life. Uh, uh, for some of us, this would be the issue. You can't be around people. You can't be with people because you just can't turn this off. You can't just love people. You can't just be friends. You're always comparing, always competing. Your neighbors get a nice new front door. It just burns in your throat till you can get a better door. Crazy. It's just insane. But this is so much the way all of us are. And the price we pay for that is isolation, isolation. And exhaustion, because honestly, it's exhausting to be in the world and constantly have to deal with jealousy with everybody else in the world. I mean, that'll wear you out. But but you have a choice. You have another way to live in the world. And, and this is what brings us back around to Jonathan. Man. Now, if anybody has a good reason to hate David, it's Jonathan. Jonathan has more to lose from David than than maybe even saw. I I mean, just think about it. You know anything about Jonathan? Have you read his story? If you read through the book of 1 Samuel, Jonathan is something of the hero. Uh, Up until David arrives with his five smooth stones and his slingshot, you know, his redneck shepherd boy, drives up in his pickup and kills a giant. I mean, before David comes up on the scene, Jonathan is the hero. Jonathan is the prince of Israel. He's Saul's son. He's the king's son, which means what? He's next in line. Jonathan is next in line. And whereas King Saul is just, you know, it's just, he's just not worth a nickel. I mean, King Saul is, is, is a wicked, evil man that has turned his back on God, and God has turned his back on Saul. I mean, Saul is a sad, sad story, but Jonathan is amazing. Everything we know about Jonathan, in mean, every single moment of Jonathan's life, he comes through. He's the hero. I'll come back and read 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'm not going to, but read it on your own time. It's an amazing story of Jonathan in battle. Jonathan just kills like 20 Philistines single-handedly. It's an ambush. Nobody else wants to do anything, but Jonathan engages the fight. Jonathan is amazing. Man of courage, Man of valor, a magnificent prince. Understand that. Before David arrives, Jonathan is the hero. Which kind of raises the question, where in the world was he when Goliath was out there stomping and spitting? Where was Jonathan? I mean, the Bible doesn't say, but where was he? Because if you're just reading through the book of 1 Samuel... You would think that when Goliath steps out and Jonathan, I mean, Jonathan just killed 20 Philistines. It ought to be Jonathan that steps up, but he doesn't. So in a lot of ways, David is already, you know, outshining Jonathan. He's already sort of stepped past him. And and if anybody's got a reason to hate David, it ought to be Jonathan. You know, when Saul looks at David, it just burns in his throat. But, But notice this. Go back. After David, verse 1, had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them. Again, it's, it's Hebrew. Uh, the word there is, is to knit. And what the Hebrew says is uh, their souls were knitted, like instantly knitted together, just their souls. It's an instant connection. For Jonathan loved David. If anybody's got a good reason to hate him, it would be Jonathan. But for Jonathan, it's just instant, instant love. How does that work? some of you, you know, can, can tell stories about, it. you know, guys, you know, I met, I met my best friend, we were in seventh grade, you know, she just moved in from wherever and we standing in the pizza line, I looked at her and said, what's your name? And she said, hey, my name is, you know, Nicole or whatever. And I say, hey, I'm Betsy. And I you know, we're best friends for everyone, just like, right, you know, we love that when it just clicks like that. And, and maybe a couple of times in our life, you know, friendship is like lightning that strikes. You know, and it's just like, man, just like, I just met my best friend and, and we recognize it instantly. But but that's not how it works most of the time, and and if you're waiting for lightning to strike for you to have another friend, whoo, you know it's going to be a long lonesome life for you. That's not how friendship typically works, and you shouldn't read this passage and think that that's how it worked here. That you know some magic happens, just you know lightning strikes, and Jonathan they would just meet their best friend. No, no, Jonathan is an amazing man of character, and Jonathan makes a choice. Make no mistake, it's a choice here. And the very basic principle here is that Jonathan makes friends, not enemies. There are several lessons to learn from Jonathan's life. And I think this is one of the most basic. And if it sounds overly simple to you, I want you to think seriously about what I'm saying. Because I really think this, this is important for some of you. Because you make enemies more easily than you make friends. Be honest. Like everywhere you go, you just don't like people. And you blame them. It's like you've been working where you work for 2 weeks, but you knew on day number 2 that you don't like any of these people. Can't work with any of those women in that office. You know, it's like you know that instantly. That you make enemies really really quick. And like it's not just this place you work. Like the last place you worked, turns out you didn't like any of those people either. You couldn't work with any of those women either. And if we, you know, keep going back like in second grade, you didn't like any of those women either. So, understand Maybe, just maybe the problem is you and it's not with everybody else in the world. Maybe you just got a really bad habit of making enemies instead of friends and you have a choice. You always have a choice. You could choose to make friends. This is the way you've just chosen to live in the world, making enemies rather than friends, but you've got a choice. Jonathan makes a choice and instantly he chooses love. He could hate David. He could see him as a rival. He could see him honestly as the one who's gonna take the throne instead of him. I mean, Jonathan is not an idiot. He can see all that, but instead he just loves. He just chooses to love. And you also could make a choice. I'm telling you, anybody in your life close enough to be an enemy is also close enough to be a friend. Anybody in your life close enough for you to hate it's actually close enough for you to love. I mean, honestly, if you have an enemy, that is intimate. If you hate somebody, you're bitter towards, them, you don't forgive. I mean, that is intimate. You think about that person a lot. You could have just as easily, you know, made a friend. You still could. Jonathan amazing? Jonathan was the prince of Israel, magnificent prince. Jonathan was an amazing man of battle, a man of courage and valor. You read a story in scripture and for all time, Jonathan is not known for being the magnificent prince. He's not known for being the magnificent man of battle. Jonathan is known for being a really good friend. If I get to the end of my life, And if that's what people said about me, you know, man, he was a good friend. He's a good friend. I don't know, honestly, what would be a better achievement. That's something. But you're never gonna get there in your life if you make enemies instead of friends. The other thing about Jonathan, it's really actually beautiful. His his friendship is a pledge of loyalty. Talk about how friends have, uh, I'll have your back. It's also that idea of a, of a friend that just lasts, you know, made a friend for life sort of thing. Uh, this is the kind of friend that Jonathan is. Now, recognize this friendship for Jonathan is going to be very, very costly, very costly. It, it will cost him everything that you would think, you know, he would live to possess and to, to enjoy, but... Jonathan lays all of that down willingly, joyfully for the sake of friendship. It will cost him, but for him, the friendship is worth it. That's why when you read through uh, friendship verses in Scripture, Jonathan becomes such a good example of, of, of what the Scripture says. This is the verse I mentioned earlier. Friends come and friends go, but there is a friend who sits closer than a brother. There's just that kind of friend that's closer than family. I love my family, you know, but honestly, you know, I got weird cousins and crazy uncles and I got friends who are more like family than family, you know, and, and this is what the scripture says here. There are friends uh, who come and go. They're like friends. And then there's a, f- a friend, you know, in other words, there are lots of people you can call friends, but there is a kind of friend. There's a special kind of friend that's closer than family. Jonathan was that kind of friend. You must be that kind of Friend, you understand there are different kinds of friends, but there's this kind that is loyal, sticks close. Uh, next from Proverbs 27, 10, never abandoned a friend. Notice this, either yours or your father's. Interesting, never abandon a friend. In other words, if you're going to have a friend for life, it's up to you for your whole life to be a friend. And that's how friends for life work. You understand? You have to not give up on the friendship. You have to not quit on the friendship. Never abandon a friend. But notice this, not not your friends and not even your father's. It's just this principle that, that you should have a long memory for friendship. If someone's been a good friend to you, you should honor that through your whole life. And if you remember that someone was actually kind to your parents, like a friend of your family from way back, you honor that. You have a long, long memory for friendship. Some of you can remember every rotten thing anybody ever did. It's like the Hatfields and McCoys. You got a feud going with people who, who insulted your family back at the ice cream supper in the 60s. You know, got this long memory for just garbage you know, but the Bible encourages you to forget all of that. Have a long memory for friendship. Never abandon a friend, either yours or, or your father's. One more. This one is my favorite. Psalm 15. The entire psalm is short. It's one of these worship psalms that talks about, you know, who may worship in your sanctuary, O Lord? Who may ascend to your holy hill? The idea is, you know, what kind of person does God bless? What kind of person does God see as worthy? What kind of behavior does God uh, want to endorse? And, and it's interesting how many of these phrases ap- apply to friendship. Who may worship in your saints' sanctuary, O Lord? That's verse one. And then tucked in the verses here. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. I mean, these things seem basic. Like, if you ask God a question like, who can ascend to your holy hill? You would think God would, you know, have a list that would be more complicated than, will, you know, not people that, you know, talk bad about their friends behind their back. But do you understand, this is the kind of behavior that really offends God. And the kind of person that would speak poorly of a friend behind the friend's back, God's just saying, that's pretty low. That's pretty low. I mean, gossip, The only people you gossip about are people that, you know, are probably your friends. We don't gossip about strangers. You gossip about people who are close enough to care about, you know, and God is offended by that kind of behavior, harm their neighbors. You think, well, who hurts their neighbors? Well, who speaks evil of their friends? Well, at times, most any of us. I like the last one, though. This is the end of the song. And those who keep their promises even when it hurts. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord, those who keep their promises even when it hurts. That's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture for just the simple power of that. You know, if it just stopped there, keep their promises, I'll go, yeah, boy, I'm a promise keeper. It's the even when it hurts part, because some of us actually aren't promise keepers at all once it hurts. You know, I know I told you that, but something came up. You know, I mean, if you got a better offer, you're gone. You know, I mean, honestly, keeping promises when it hurts, this is the only time when it really counts. This is when promise keeping matters, So let's just be really, really honest. Like in a lot of your friendships, the reason you don't have that friend anymore is because somebody was more of a fair weather friend. When keeping the promise of friendship began to hurt, they're gone. You were gone. Honestly, in some of your marriages right now, this is the problem. One or the other or or neither of you is able to keep a promise when it hurts. Because honestly, when marriages fall apart, this is what happens. When it became difficult people broke promises. And God is saying, these are offensive things. These are things that are not acceptable to God. And notice how all of these apply to just everyday relationships with neighbors, with friends. It's a a pledge of loyalty. Let's go on. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. That's Jesus kind of language, right? I mean, love your neighbor as, as you love yourself. I mean, I think we can all basically understand the principle that, that if you haven't made peace with the person that lives inside your skin, then you're not going to have peace with anybody. If you can't have a, a, a kindness with your own self, if you can't be a friend to your own self, then you can't be a friend to anybody. And honestly, some of you are horrible to yourselves. The way you talk to yourselves, you look at the girl in the mirror and you tell her she's fat and ugly every single day. Do you understand? You are your own worst enemy. Nobody would talk to a friend that way. So there's just this basic biblical principle that you make peace with yourself, that you love yourself, but that also you love everybody else just as much as you love yourself. Again, I say, this is hard because we love us self, don't we? I mean, we love ourselves. We really love ourselves. But if I love you, like I love me, that's been when, when something good happens to you, I'm going to be just as happy for you as if it happened to me. Did I say all that right? Did that come out right? If I love you the way I love me, then when something good happens to you, I'm going to be just as happy for you as if it happened to me. Because I love you as much as I love me. It's, it's that ability to rejoice with those who rejoice without having it, you know, kind of burn in your throat. By the same token, if something bad happens to you, I'm gonna grieve that just like it happened to me. I'm gonna love you like I love myself, which means if you're hurting, it's gonna hurt me. Just like it was happening to me, I'm gonna feel that for you. This is what friendship is. But some of us aren't good at this. Let's be honest. Something bad happens to somebody else and you think, oh, bless her heart. Hmm, I hate that for her. And then you pick up the phone and tell five people, oh, did you hear? Mm, hate it for her. Just hate it. Yeah, that's gonna be bad for her. But, but then you gossip about it because honestly to you, it's just so delicious. Just so delicious. Other people's bad news, mm, it tastes so good in your mouth, you just can't help but you know, talk about it, enjoy it. Mm, I hate that for her. God bless her. We should all pray. Man, it's, it's in our hearts, you know. We just don't love like this. We, we don't love people like we love ourselves. We love ourselves, period. It, it, it probably goes without saying, but let me just say it. Jonathan gives up being the hero to be the hero maker. He was the hero of the story. He was the prince of Israel. He was next in line for the throne. He was the greatest man of battle in all of Israel, but but notice what it says, verse four. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe. Now, we're not talking about like a robe, you know, like a bathrobe, you know, that your daddy wears, you know, and you can't get that image out of your mind, um, like one of those house dresses from dollar store, you know, that your grandma wears, no. We're talking about the prince of Israel. We're talking about his robe. It's it's the only robe like it. And Jonathan wears it because it's his to wear. He's the prince. He's the son of the king. He's next in line for the throne. But Jonathan takes it off and puts it on David. Understand, it, it means obviously what it means, that in Jonathan's mind, David should be king. That in Jonathan's mind, it's like he looks at his friend and he says, "Man you, you wear that well. You were born for that. I want you to have it. It's yours. It doesn't stop there. He, he gives him his sword. I mean I mean, Jonathan, the, the man of battle, you know I, I mean, he, he gives his sword to David and his tunic and his belt. Jonathan knows fully what all this is going to cost him. Why does he do it? Loves his friend. Can you even imagine being that kind of friend? I have a hard time, honestly. I'll just be honest with you. I I want to be this guy. But I'm I'm kind of this guy. You know, several years ago, you know, heard the grapevine that, you know, like somebody gave a six million dollar check in the offering at a Hillview. Well, good for them. You think that makes me jealous? Steve Ayers, and I went to high school. I can't think of anybody in the world, you know, more deserving than Pastor Steve Ayers. And, Hillview Heights Church, I can't think of any other church that would do, you know, as good with that money, except maybe us. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I I don't want to be jealous of that stuff. I I just want to be happy, but, you know, y'all just know how hard that is, you know? When, when something good happens to a friend, I, I want that to warm in my heart and not burn in my throat. You know what I mean? Can you do that well? Because I'll be honest with you, I struggle. I just do. I really want to be the hero-making guy. but I love the spotlight too, obviously, and I like standing on the stage. And so let's just get real. The only way that we could have that kind of love, the kind of love that Jesus has, is if Jesus puts that love in our hearts. It it doesn't come from us. I I am not capable of being that kind of friend, and I want to be, I want to be that man. I want to be remembered as a good friend, and it, it requires a transformation in my heart that, that I can't make on my own. If, if I could change this old heart, man, I'd have changed it a long time ago. It's, it ain't changing by my power. It will be the power of Jesus in me. And that's what we have to do. We have to surrender ourselves. We just have to recognize the way we love ourselves and the way we continue to just not be able to love anybody else as much as we love ourselves and and recognize that that is exactly the symptom of the kind of sin that Jesus died for. He will forgive me. He will forgive you. He will save us if we call upon his name and he will change us. He's changing me. I am not the man I used to be. I'm still not the man I'm going to be. I'm, I'm in a process of being changed in, in the nature and in the power and in the example of Jesus, and that's what I'm praying for. But it's hard. It, it's not automatic every day. It's not automatic for you either. Just ask the people who have to live with you. In the Bible it says uh, there is a friend that sticks closer Family. And the fact that it says that implies that there must be another kind of friend too. A kind that doesn't. I guess the question today is, uh, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you? Pray with me. Jesus, you have shown us that uh, there is no greater love than the love that lays its life down for friends. Your words, no greater love than the love that lays its life down for friends. God, on the one hand, some of us don't even have any. We live our lives in such a way, Lord, where just nobody can stand to be with us. Lord, some of us have burned so many bridges and we have made so many people angry, Lord. We just made so many people leave us, Lord, that we just don't have any people left. We've used them all up. Lord, at this late stage of our lives, will you yet teach us how to love, how to be friends, how to forget about ourselves, start living for you, start living for others, Lord. Jesus, this is a house full of people. Some of us, Lord, have a world of people in our lives, Lord, but not all of those people would find a very good friend in us, Lord. They don't know how we talk about them behind their backs. They don't know. They don't know how jealous we are, how we look at them and we we want what they have, Lord. They don't understand how their happiness burns in our throats sometimes, Lord. They just don't understand our hearts the way you understand our hearts. Jesus, help us. We need transformation. We need new hearts. We need hearts full of love. We need your power, Lord Jesus, to slay the monster of jealousy that lives inside our hearts. So Jesus, pour your power out into us. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this without your spirit. Pour your love into our hearts. Give us new eyes to see people. So that, Lord, when we meet a person, instantly, we choose love. Lord God, this is only possible because you look down upon us instantly. You chose love. And you came down and laid your life down to call us friends. May we, Lord Jesus, learn to follow after you, lay our life down for friends. Pray these things in Jesus' name, the friend of sinners.